The reading of God's word this morning comes from the book of John, uh, chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 901, and following Jesus' Bible, page 1159. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have little ones third grade and under, uh, you can dismiss them to uh, line up over here for children's worship. If you're visiting here with us today and your children have not been previously registered with us, I'll just invite one parent to go with them to get them signed up for uh, children's worship. How can you know that you're a Christian? Two weeks ago, we saw in John's gospel that when a person believes in Jesus, uh, that Christian receives hope beyond all their problems. And that hope is that they will live with God forever beyond death. We have that hope beyond every problem, beyond every trial. And that's a hope I need. That's a hope that you need So the question then is, how can we be sure we're one of those people who has that hope? That question, how can you know that you're a Christian, was a question I heard a lot in the churches of my youth. But the question, rather than being a comfort to me, actually caused me anxiety and concern. (laughs) My pastor and and a pastor I work for, too, would, would regularly ask, do you know that you know that you know that you're saved. I think that he was trying to root out people who were trusting in church membership to get them into heaven, who were trusting in good works or in religion to get them into heaven. But that's actually not where I was. I trusted Christ. I'd trusted him from a very early age. And so the question ended up creating sort of an unnecessary paranoia about whether I was a Christian or not. It's almost like the other foot never dropped in their presentation of how you could be assured that you are indeed a child of God. I never got any real assurance that I was a Christian. Instead, I was just hearing, did you really believe back then when you say you believed? I mean, do you have a time and a date and then was it authentic? That's what I was hearing. I'd done that. I had trusted Christ. I'd had that. I'd, I'd professed Christ when I was a kid. I, I did it privately. I did it publicly before the church. I remembered that event. But I kept hearing that question over and over and over. And in the days and weeks and months and years and now decades since I first made my profession of faith, my faith has not been steady. My faith has not been unwavering. I've sinned today. I've doubted I've had significant seasons of my life where I've seriously contemplated walking away from Christianity. So with all of that in my history, and that question echoing from my childhood, can I know if I'm a Christian? Is that even possible with my history that I can know whether I'm a Christian or not? In Romans chapter 8, The Apostle Paul gives us a mysterious statement that answers the question. 
How can you know that you're a Christian? Paul says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how can you know if you're a Christian? Paul says that the Holy Spirit will tell you. But he doesn't tell you by himself. Paul says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how can we know whether we're Christians? The Holy Spirit, along with our own spirit, shows us that we are Christians. That probably does not mean much to you unless you've studied this concept It's kind of a strange, mysterious statement. The Holy Spirit partners with my spirit to tell me something? What? I think Jesus teaches us the exact same thing in John 13 through 17. He's having his last night on earth with his disciples. He's telling him he's about to be killed. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be with his father. He's going to be gone. And so Jesus is preparing them for distance from him. Jesus is going to be gone. He's also trying to prepare them for the suffering that they will experience in the meantime. And it's in that context that Jesus says this. Look again at our text, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You won't be alone, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, much of what Jesus says to the disciples in these three verses is just as strange and mysterious as what Paul said in Romans 8. For starters, Jesus calls the whole, he doesn't call him the Holy Spirit in this text. Instead, he calls him the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive Because it neither sees him nor knows him. What's mysterious and strange about this statement? When Jesus says that the world cannot see the Holy Spirit, that those who don't believe, unbelievers, those who have not been chosen out of the world, they can't see the Holy Spirit, that assumes that those whom he has taken out of the world, that believers can see the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says this about the world not seeing the Spirit, he's not just talking about the world. He's also talking about his disciples. He's talking about you and me by implication. Those who are not in the world but whom he has chosen out of the world, they can see the Holy Spirit. Here's the point. Jesus' disciples, those, those whom he has chosen out of the world, not only can but do receive, know, and see the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you will receive, know, and see the Holy Spirit. So who's the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? I love Star Wars, but the Holy Spirit is not the force. He's not some impersonal force. He's not the embodiment of God's will as though God the Father says something and then when it happens, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. Kids, where are my kids at? Not just my kids, all the kids. We've been learning our catechism together, so uh, it's time to practice. Ready? Is there more than one true God? Oh, y'all are doing it in like the chant version. Am I supposed to do the chant version? My family was. 
In how many persons does this one God exist? In three persons. And now you only have to do it one time. Name those three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. And here Jesus tells the disciples that they know the Holy Spirit, that he lives among them, and that he will be in them. Pay attention to these prepositions. Look at verse 17. We're going to look just at the last sentence in verse 17. Jesus tells the disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Fascinating. So so this is before the day of Pentecost. If you know the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost is the day when the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of every Christian. That hasn't happened yet. So Jesus tells the disciples, listen, guys, you know the Holy Spirit. He is with you or among you, but he's not yet in you. How is that? The Holy Spirit lived in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was working in and through the disciples. They were already performing miracles like Jesus at this point. But Jesus' relationship to the Holy Spirit was different from the relationship that his disciples had because the Holy Spirit lived in him. But Jesus says he will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. So let's not forget what we're talking about. Our main point thus far is this. Jesus' disciples, those whom he has chosen out of the world, receive, know, and see the Holy Spirit. In John 14, they already know him. They already see him, actually. They've gotten to know him through Jesus and through what he's done through them. And they will receive him on the day of Pentecost. But how is it that they see the Holy Spirit? That reminds me, kids. We've got another catechism question. I don't know if you've gotten to this one yet. Can you see God? All right, we're going to we're gonna have to get everybody singing the song. So we've got half the room singing the song, half the room just saying it. No, I cannot see God, but he always sees me. Why does the catechism say that? Because God is a spirit and doesn't have a body like men. We can't see him with our eyes. So why would Jesus then say that the world can't see him? Nobody can see him. He's a spirit. Jesus isn't literally talking about seeing the Holy Spirit with your eyes. No, but... When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a person's life, they can see the effect of his presence. Paul said in Romans 8, the Spirit testifies, bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. The Spirit will do something in you that you can witness, that you can see, that you can behold. Listen, folks, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the creator And Lord of the universe. There's no way that God comes to live in you and he doesn't make a difference. If he he lives in you or with you, you're going to notice that. And Jesus already told us this in John chapter 3. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a person's life, you can see the effect of his presence. He's like the wind. 
Can you see the wind with your eyes? No. But you can see the effect of the wind. You can hear the wind. You can see what it does to the things around it. We here in hurricane country, we know what the wind can do, but you can't see it. The spirit is like the wind. Now that brings us back to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Paul and Jesus are saying the same thing. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and you will see the effects of him being there. The activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives demonstrates to us that we are indeed Christians. I was always trying to think back to the time when I received Christ, uh, trying to uh, decide whether my faith was authentic as though it's some kind of work. What Jesus tells us is look at your life now. Look at your history. Do you see the work of the Holy Spirit? A lot of the time when we think about the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we think about him in very spooky terms. We think about the Holy Spirit giving us goosebumps when we hear a Christian radio, a song on the radio, right? We think of the Holy Spirit whispering some secret truth to us when we aren't expecting it. We have reduced the Spirit to this very vague, impersonal, imperceptible reality. But the scriptures are very clear about who he is, about what he does, and how he does it. Now, granted, the Spirit does work at times in mysterious, strange, and imperceptible ways. He also works in really blatant, ordinary, repeated, and visible ways, too. And one of the things that he does, again, to use Paul's language, is to bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit tells us that we are Christians. Chris Callie and I were talking about this a few weeks back, and he said he likes the language of authentication. The Holy Spirit authenticates to us that we are Christians. What, what is authentication? I got a really nerdy example to uh, use. Several weeks ago, I played in a card gaming tournament. Don't worry, I'm not gambling. It's worse than that. It's, it's nerd stuff. Regardless, I went two and two. I didn't even win. Uh, but I won uh, two games, and I, for each win, I got a pack of random trading cards. And upon opening one of those packs, I got a super rare card uh, that I sold on eBay for 100 bucks. So eBay has a new policy where if you... It's okay, you can laugh. It is funny. Uh, eBay has a new policy where if you have a very valuable trading card, it has to be authenticated. So I shipped it to eBay where they had an expert look at the card under a light with a... I don't know. I don't know what they do. Microscope or... I don't... Who knows? Regardless, he looked at it and said, it's real. So I got the 100 bucks and they sent the card on to... The guy, the, the, the authentication uh, of trading cards is a whole industry. I knew the card was real. I pulled it from a pack that I got at the shop. But now this authentication service will also communicate to the buyer that the card is, in fact, the real deal. The same thing happens to us. We have two authenticating witnesses who join together in telling us it's real. It's the real deal. It's not fake. It's not a counterfeit. You are a Christian. The Holy Spirit partners with our spirit and testify to us that we are children of God. But how? How does the Holy Spirit partner with our spirit to show us whether we're Christians or not? 
It's not about looking backward to when, how, or where you profess your faith. No, it's bigger than that. It is more global and encompassing on your life. The Holy Spirit shows us that we are Christians by accomplishing at least seven different things in us. You might think, Pastor, seven different things. It's, uh, it's, almost, it's almost 12. We're going to get to lunch today. Well, this morning, I want to show you the big picture and the first of these seven authenticating signs. But over the next six weeks, we are going to dig deep into all seven of these authenticating signs that I see in John 13 through 17. So today we're going to look at the big picture. So first, when you believe the gospel, sorry, this is, Mary Francis does the the attractive slides, I do the non-attractive slides. Uh, When you believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. This is what Jesus describes in our text, that one day the Spirit will live in you. The same thing happens to every Christian. When you believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you at that moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. Back to our Mary Francis slide. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, the authenticating sign, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you first believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. He is a seal who shows you that you're a Christian, that you will inherit the hope of Christ. But when he inhabits us, something happens. Namely, we receive a new heart and a new spirit. This is the first authenticating sign that you are indeed a Christian. You see different language being used in different texts about this. Paul uses the language of the old man is now dead and a new man has been raised in his place. Other places Paul talks about your flesh has been dead and now you're alive in Christ. Here's the bare facts. The Holy Spirit doesn't kill you and then dominate you as though you lose your will Uh, your autonomy, your individuality, your self. No, the Holy Spirit transforms you. He makes you into the best version of you. He makes you into an alive, resurrected, changed version of you. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied way, way back that the Holy Spirit would do this. Through Ezekiel, God said, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. The Holy Spirit enters our life and transforms us. He brings us from death to life. He makes us a new person within. So this is the first authenticating sign, a miraculous transformation of ourselves reflected in new godly desires and a will to serve God. That's what Ezekiel's saying. God changes your desires. He changes your heart. He changes your love. Regularly, I talk to you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, and others that are Christians and who are wondering if they're really Christians. Why? Usually they've got some kind of sin they're dealing with. They're struggling with. They feel like they're losing the war. Or they're struggling with serious doubts. They're wondering if all this is really true. A lot of the time they ask that because they're just in a deep time of grief and loss. God feels far away and so 
whether their sin or their loss or their doubts are making them wonder whether they're really a Christian. A helpful question to ask yourself or to ask someone else is the same thing I ask. Why do you even care? Why do you care that you're sinning? Why do you care that you're doubting? Why do you care that God feels far away? Jesus has shown us in no unclear terms in our text that an unbeliever just doesn't give a rip about any of that stuff. They want to be Lord of their life. They want to do what they want to do. Uh, They don't care what Jesus says. They don't want to be near him. They want to be autonomous of him. So the fact that you care that you're sinning, the fact that you care that you're doubting, the fact that you want to know God and you want to feel close to God, that is your new heart and new spirit calling out, Abba, Father. That is your new heart and new spirit longing for God, longing for the things of God. Without Jesus, you would not have that. Left to ourselves, left to our flesh, we don't want to serve God. We don't want to honor him. We don't want to be close to him. So if you have any impulse to know God, to love God, to serve God, to be near him, to obey him, that's a sign that you are, in fact, a child of God. And this new nature within, this new heart and new spirit partners together with the Holy Spirit to show you that you're a child of God. Again, as Paul said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The text here isn't telling us the Holy Spirit communicates this to our spirit. No, the Spirit joins together with this new heart and new spirit you've received, and the two of them tell us, you're a Christian. They work together to show us this. So the internal work of the Holy Spirit Well, I'll just give you the point. The internal work of the Holy Spirit always has outward effects, though, that can be witnessed by ourselves and others. The point that Paul is making in Romans 8 isn't this, that the Holy Spirit assures you of salvation through some secret, quiet, mysterious thing. No, he transforms you in ways that can be known to you and even known to others. But even before it becomes external, before it becomes visible, you can know in your heart that you desire to love God, to serve God, to be near to God, to live faithfully, that internal witness shows you that you're a Christian. But how else does the Spirit testify with our spirit that we are children of God? I've only got six more uh, that we're going to hit very quickly. Let's look at two more internal witnesses. The first one is, well, I'll say the point, union with uh, with God the Father and God the Son through which we can truly know the triune God relationally. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, he is connected to the Father and the Son. And so we'll see this next week where Jesus says, if you have the Spirit in you, I and my Father are going to take up residence in your life as well so that you can have a relationship with me. So there's a relational component that we experience through the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, as well. Here's a, a third internal sign that we are a Christian which is uh, an experience of Jesus' heavenly peace. So if the Spirit comes to live in us, and that gives us union and communion with the Father and the Son, Jesus promises that we can also participate and have his peace in heaven. How do you think Jesus feels about things right now? He's not in heaven wringing his hands. He's not nervous about what's going to happen this afternoon, next week, next year. Jesus has complete peace. And he promises to give us that same peace here and now by merit of our union and communion with him and his father and his spirit. 
So we have these three internal signs. A new heart, a new spirit, union with the Father and the Son, the peace of the Holy Spirit. But then we have four external authenticating signs, four things that flow out of these three uh, internal signs. There's your three internal signs in red. So here are the four external ones. You can write all these down real quick, and we're going to be covering them over the next weeks. Number four, increasingly, we will obey God, especially through actionable love for other Christians. This is something that will flow out of these in, the internal work of the Holy Spirit. In 5, 6, and 7, God will speak to us through Scripture. We call that illumination. Also, the resurrected Jesus will authenticate to us that he is alive. We're going to talk about that on Easter. And in 7, God will answer our prayers. So these are the external signs through which the Spirit shows us that we are Christians. Now, these don't happen instantaneously, simultaneously. But as you look back over your life, you're going to see these things unfolding as signs that you do have the Spirit, that you are a child of God. So while we do have internal signs, these top three, there are these four external signs that show us and others that we are indeed a Christian. And sometimes that's what we need. We need another Christian to tell us, listen, man, you're getting trapped too much in your head. You're getting trapped too much by your sin. I see the Spirit at work in you. Now, this list is not comprehensive. There are the authenticating signs that I see in John 13 through 17. And you may look at this list and say, well, I see some of those, but I don't see all of those in my life. You may look at this and say, I, I don't know whether I see any of these in my life. We're just getting started. So over the next six weeks, we've even got the dates for you there. We're going to unpack each of these. And the purpose is this, to help you examine yourself. To ask yourself, do I see this work of the Holy Spirit in my life? Is the Spirit testifying with my spirit that I am indeed a child of God? And to what ends? What's the goal of these seven weeks deeply considering this question? First, I hope that every one of us will have a crystal clear vision for whether we're truly followers of Jesus. And if you aren't, great news, you can be. I'll be inviting you week after week to trust Christ, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be transformed. But if you are a Christian and you have received his spirit, I hope that you'll find a sure foundation of assurance to stand on. Because when you know that Christ has you, when you know that you're a child of God, that you've been changed inwardly by the spirit, that empowers you to live life for God and to his glory. And in this era between the ascension of Jesus and his return, how we live matters. We want to live assured that we are children of God, expecting the Spirit's work, knowing the Father's love, knowing the companionship of Jesus and serving him in all that we do. So I invite you to come back next week as we continue answering this question of how can I know that I'm a Christian? Let's pray.